So many of you know that I travel a lot. Um, I've been to a lot of places. And uh, for probably the last seven or eight years, I've been traveling with Keep Your Heart Ministries. And we've been to a lot of churches, met a lot of people. Um, and I am single. That's another thing you guys might know about me. And there's, there's this interesting thing that happens when you're a traveling young man who's serving the Lord, who's going to lots of places. Pastors meet you and they're like, man, this guy's great. It's so nice to, to see someone who's passionate for the Lord. I've got someone I want you to meet. <laughs> uh, and, and there have been many, many interesting uh, moments like that. There was one that, that really uh, stands out from the rest. Uh, we were in West Virginia. Uh, oh, no. Uh, <laughs> and the pastor, uh, he spoke to me the, the day before. We were actually about to run a teen camp. So we were about to go onto a campground uh, with all of their teens and some other youth groups from other churches and, uh, and have a big event. We were going to be some counselors um, alongside lots of uh, college-age people from their church and the pastor uh, meets me on Sunday after the service, and he says, Hey, uh, so, so I've got this, this girl that I'd, I'd like you to meet. Uh, her name's Nari. Uh, I, I've actually got, I have a photo and a bio for you if you, if you want to take it. And I said, No, no, that, that's okay. I, I, should be, I should be fine. But thank you for offering. Um, so we head the next morning to, to the campground. And uh, we haven't started yet. Everyone is in, like, the, the large cafeteria. Kids are sitting around. Uh, the counselors have officially inaugurated their table that we're all going to sit at. Um, and we're just chatting away, having a great time catching up. We'd been there many times before, lots of friends. Uh, lots of them had, uh, had been campers when me and Adam had first started coming to West Virginia. Uh, and so now they're old enough to work alongside us. Pastor comes in and, uh, and walks right up to the counselor's table. And he's, you know, chatting away, saying hi to everybody. He, see, he sees me. And he says, hey, Zach, Nari, I just want to make sure you two meet. <laughs> and then he walked away. <laughs> and uh, suddenly all of the chattering that was going on went completely silent at the counselor's table. <laughs> and uh, a, a moment of silence uh, for, <laughs> for me. <laughs> in that day. It was thankfully, it was totally fine. We like waved and then everyone kind of got back into the swing of things. I didn't hear the end of it from the other guy counselors, but uh, that moment lives on in memory because it was very, very awkward. And I can only imagine how red my face must have been in that moment. Well, here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, there's a moment sort of like that, that I can relate to, that I thought was very interesting uh, when I read through this chapter not that long ago, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul is writing to these believers who he's met before. He, uh, he traveled over uh, the Aegean Sea to Macedonia, uh, where, he, where he felt called to witness to these people who had never heard of Jesus Christ. Went around to many churches, Philippi and Thessalonica being two of them, and Corinth being one as well towards the southern end of this area. So he knew these people very well. He had spent, uh, in fact, months with them, growing the church, meeting people, and leading them to Christ, and then teaching them what he could in the time that he had about what Christ would have us do in this world, how we should live and reflect his love and share this message to those around us. Well, he left. 
Uh, and it's been some time now. And he's heard some reports. He's heard some things. Uh, and in verse 11, we find out exactly what he has heard. In verse 11, it says, For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Paul knew the Corinthians very well. He knew their reputation as well. Uh, in fact, their name uh, in Greek was often used as a derogatory term for people who were sinful, who were just completely um, unreligious in every way. And so he knew that they had lots of struggles, lots of things that they had already been dealing with. But then specifically, he had been hearing of things continuing to happen uh, and things that he thought he had dealt with. And it's interesting to note here that in verse 11, uh, he doesn't shy away from uh, saying who ratted them out. Uh, He says, uh, I've I've heard some things, brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe. And as you know, these letters written to the churches were read aloud to the congregations. (laughs) I can only imagine there in the congregation is Chloe and her family. And uh, and whoever's reading the letter today... uh, decides to uh, include this part. Oh, uh, the house of Chloe has been telling Paul some things about us, some things that we may not have wanted Paul to know at the moment. Uh, And Chloe's face probably turned red, wondering, oh, no, I told you that in confidence, Paul. Come on. Uh, But Paul didn't shy away from that. And I think that that's an interesting note. Uh, and, and really the first thing I want us to think about here is that we shouldn't shy away from talking about the things that are difficult to talk about. The Corinthian church had a lot of issues, and, and the main one we'll see is unity. They had a lot of division uh, among their members. And I think part of that was because of this mindset that they had developed, that when you struggle with something, when you have a problem, we don't talk about it. We just deal with it on our own and hope that everything goes okay. And whenever we meet together on Sunday or whatever day of the week they met, we act like everything is perfectly fine. Everything's going great. We don't have any problems. So when Paul shows up and he visits, we want Paul to know that everything's okay. We've been keeping it all together. Uh, the, the, the problems that he dealt with back when he first started our church, no problem. Those, those things haven't risen back up. Our old habits, Paul, we've dealt with those. No worries. But Chloe didn't shy away from that. And I think the reason why Paul included this verse, because he didn't have to say who said these things, who uh, decided to share all the dark secrets. No, he didn't have to include that, but he did. And I think because he wanted the Corinthians to realize, hey, I'm commending Chloe for what she did. I know it might be uncomfortable and it might feel kind of weird that Paul knows about the things that are going on, but Chloe wasn't afraid to share these things. Chloe sees a problem and she said, hey, we need to fix this. Something's not being dealt with and it's about time that we stop playing games. So I think Paul to the Corinthians is saying, hey, at the beginning of this, le- this letter, I'm about to get into some stuff. I'm going to deal with some problems. And I want you guys to know that that's an important step in finding victory in the Christian life. 
is not just trying to hide and, and save face and, and be like, oh, everything's perfectly fine. No, if there's something going on, we need to deal with it. And that kind of goes against what a lot of Christianity is teaching these days, uh, in youth ministry especially. We've sort of developed at this point uh, in youth ministry where we've decided that things are just so difficult to deal with, with kids, and they're not going to listen, so we just shouldn't talk about those things. We just shouldn't teach those things, because they're not going to obey us anyways. We shouldn't teach them about purity, because if we're honest, they're not going to be pure. And so why put that expectation on them? They're not going to uh, read their Bibles. So why should we teach it? It's too hard for them. But Paul here is teaching us that, hey, just because something's hard doesn't make it right. Just because something's hard, I mean, doesn't make it wrong and that we shouldn't do it. Just because something is easy doesn't make it right. And even though it might be difficult to hear sometimes, it's well worth the work the pain, the difficulty, the awkwardness to get these things out in the open and say, God, I want to fix this. I want to be right with you. I want to be right with my brothers and sisters. And so let's deal with it. So he includes this phrase. I've heard some things from the house of Chloe that there are some problems. And now don't everyone turn around and look at Chloe. No, no, no. Let's deal with these things. Let's talk about what's going on. Now, even earlier than verse 11, though verse 11 here in verse 12 really gives us a glimpse at what's happening, which is disunity. He even talks about unity back in verse number two. Let's, Let's read the first few verses here. In verse one, he says, Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sosthenes, our brother, under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. And so here, Paul begins this discussion of unity by not just zeroing in on some of the the issues that he needs to deal with, not even zeroing in on the local church, but he broadens it out to remind these believers that they're not the only believers. They're not the only local church. They're not the only members of the body of Christ. No, he says, you are called to be saints with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Sometimes that can be really the seed of disunity. When we as a local church, as individuals, start to think that we are the only church and that if someone goes to a church down the road, or if, if, if they are having a different uh, set of ministries that are reaching out into our community, sometimes we get this competition between ourselves and others. And we lose sight of the fact that if someone has placed their faith in Jesus Christ, and if a church is teaching the word of God, those are members of the body of Christ. Those are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so right out the gate here, Paul deals with what he believes to be the ultimate uh, symptom of a deeper issue and really one of the sources of the rest of their issues, and that is unity. They lack unity. There's lots of division. And so he starts out with saying, you're not the only church. You are part of the church of God. You are part of the body of Christ. Then in verse 11 and 12, he zeroes in a little bit more. 
Verse 11 again says, For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you says, I'm of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Verse 13, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? He continues and says, I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I baptized in mine own name. Paul sees this disunity, and ultimately his goal is to, to point us back to Christ. Just like the church at large, the entire body of Christ, all those who have put their faith in Christ, your local body also is held together by Christ. It's that identity that we all share. Is Christ divided? No. And thank the Lord that I, I didn't uh, do too much baptism or else you might accuse me of saying that I am your savior somehow, but it's not me. And it's not Apollos or, or Cephas. Who are these guys, by the way? Well, Cephas, uh, which is uh, one of the names for Simon Peter, we know who he is. He's one of the apostles. Now, we don't really know, uh, and there's a lot of debate of whether or not Peter actually ever went to Corinth. It was sort of out of the way if you look at, at his track eventually to Rome. But whether or not he actually went to Corinth, it, it's not too hard to see that, well, there were some Jewish people who lived in Macedonia that they ended up running into with Philippi and Thessalonica. There might have been Jewish believers who had been in, in Antioch, been in Jerusalem where Peter was, and they'd made their way back to Corinth. Maybe they were visiting or maybe they, they moved out that direction. Who knows? But there are people in Corinth who knew Peter. And, and they, it seems here to indicate that they were led to Christ by Peter or at least by Peter's ministry. And so Peter was their guy. Then you have Apollos. Now, Apollos is an interesting character. He was a follower of uh, John the Baptist. And uh, in Acts, we sort of get his story about how he, he went from that ministry, he was sent out, and he began preaching this message of repentance, much like John did. Now, he knew who the Savior was. He knew the Messiah was Jesus, and so he taught that. He went around preaching, Jesus, the Messiah, repent, for the kingdom is at hand. But he didn't have the whole story. So on his way over, he actually ended up stopping on the east side of this little bubble coming out from the Aegean Sea, uh, close to where, where Paul stopped and had that vision of the Macedonians. Uh, he there stayed for a while, and he ran into some familiar characters, Aquila and Priscilla, friends of Paul, other believers, and they told him the rest of the story. They told him about Christ's death, his burial, and his resurrection, and how now we can have new life in him if we place our faith in Christ. That totally changed Apollos and his ministry. He went around still teaching Jesus. He went across that body of water to Corinth and began preaching. And so there were believers in Corinth who had been saved under Apollos' ministry. Apollos was their guy. And then you had Paul, the guy who started the church in Corinth. And many people had been saved under his leadership and under his ministry. And so we have these, these factions, you could say, that, that have developed over the last few years. And it's gotten to a point where at the beginning, no one really cared. No one was really thinking about it. But now that all of these guys 
are sort of gone. Apollos uh, may have still been there, the, the only tangible leadership that they could see in front of them. They started to divide. Some started saying, hey, this Apollos guy who's, who's leading us, who's you know, teaching on, on, our, on our greetings whenever we get together. Yeah, that's the guy who, who saved me. He's the guy who led me to Christ. Then you had some others who said, oh, yeah, yeah, well, you know Peter, right? P- Peter, the, the apostle of Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, uh, the, the guy who's working in Jerusalem. <laughs> he led me to Christ. Uh, so I, I definitely uh, am, am closer to Jesus than you are. Then you had some who said, well, remember Paul, the guy who started this church? <laughs> yeah, me and Paul are real good friends. Uh, Paul led me to Christ. Then you had at the very end some saying, well, you, do you know Jesus? Jesus was the guy that I followed. I knew him back when he was still here on the earth. And so all of this fighting, this strife was developing between these believers based on who they associated themselves with. And you sort of almost get this high school vibe from them where I have value, I have uh, coolness based on who I'm hanging out with, based on what group of friends that I have, or maybe this guy that we all look up to, well, if I get closer to him, then maybe that lifts me up in the stratosphere of being just like him. They started to have this association that they were trying to bring their own worth out of. And so Paul is trying to remind them here, there's no need for all this division. I didn't save you. Apollos didn't die for you. Peter didn't die for you. The only one that we should have allegiance to, the only one that we should care about associating ourselves with, is Christ. He's the one that unites us all. He's the one that gives us purpose. He's the one that gives us value. And that's important for him to to make that point. Because it leads us into the beginning of what I call the gateway to sin. In chapter 3, he brings us there. He says, Christ is where you should find your worth. Christ is where you find your value. Because in chapter 3, he shows us something. In chapter 3, he says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal or fleshly, lustful, even as unto babes in Christ. Those, those who have just been saved. It's been years, Corinthians. And you're still acting as if I had just told you the gospel. You haven't grown. I have fed you, fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto ye were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal, fleshly, sinful. How does he know that? For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? What had happened with this division was they had begun to live pridefully. They had begun to take their eyes off of Christ and place it onto men, but onto themselves as well. Remember, they were trying to lift themselves up and boast about themselves and their associations. Hey, I'm with Peter. That makes me better than you because you're just friends with Apollos. They were living pridefully. 
And pride is really the root of everything else that they dealt with. It was the gateway to all the other sins that they struggled with. And for us, it can be the same way. When we let a root of pride dig into our heart, when we allow our eyes to leave Christ and get too focused on ourselves or onto others around us, we let pride begin to grow within us. And the more that we are focused on ourselves and on others, the further and further away we get from the truth. And that pride will lead us into all sorts of evil and other issues. Because when I am prideful, I put too much focus on me. I find glory in the things that I accomplish. I see my self-worth wrapped up in what I can do or, or, or who I'm associated with. And I wonder why no one else can see it because I'm so great. And if I'm so great, then why aren't these things happening for me? Why do I not get to enjoy the things that I want to enjoy? And you see how, how that can lead us to find solutions and affirmations and uh, satiation in other things other than Christ. Because if I don't have it right now and I do deserve it, I want to find a way to get it. Pride also puts too much focus on other people. Because, because I'm so good, if you don't realize it, then I get irritated. I might get jealous because you are experiencing something that I should be experiencing, that I should get. And so pride puts too much focus on other people, which may sound sort of like an oxymoron, but it's true. Pride puts too, mo too much focus on those around us. One of the most dangerous devices that pulls us in that direction is social media. Social media so easily puts the focus on our own image and on the images of others, on the lives of others. And so often we can find satisfaction and affirmation in our hand than in the word of God. Because sometimes it's hard to read Sometimes it, it takes more patience to sit down and take a moment to pray and to dive into God's word than it does to open up my phone and say, oh, someone liked my photo. Or vice versa, oh, someone didn't like my photo. Well, why didn't they like it? Because they should have liked it because it was really good. If it wasn't, then maybe I'm not so great. And pride can lead us into self-deprecation, which is really just another form of self-centeredness. But it's a gateway to every other sin as well, because here at the beginning of this book, Paul lays out their issue. You are fleshly, you are carnal, you are so consumed with this world, you've lost sight of what your true identity is. Your true identity is wrapped up in Christ. Your true identity is in him. And what gets rid of disunity, division, and what pushes sin out of our lives and encourages us actually to do what is right to act humbly and to act lovingly is when we remember that Christ loves me no more than he loves you. Christ loves us all in spite of the things that we've done, in spite of the, the, the places we've been, in spite of our pride on occasion, and in spite of how we might think that we aren't worthy or how much we might think we are worthy of his love. Christ loves us all. Now Christ loves me and he loves you 
then I should love you and you should love me. It's quite that simple. But when we take our eyes off Christ, we start getting into these pockets of society, pockets of reality, where we forget what is really true. Pride was pulling these Corinthians apart at the seams. It had found a grip and was ripping them apart from each other, but also from Christ. It was driving them to do all these other things, to live no differently than the rest of the Corinthians. Corinthians who were known for all of their sexual sins and their idolatry. And here in chapter 5, he begins talking about that, the fornication that is among you in the church. This is not what Christ would have us do, but it's rooted in pride. And so in verse, uh, sorry, chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, he sort of just gives a reminder after setting this case, hey, it doesn't matter who led you to Christ. It doesn't matter who's there right now. We are all part of the same body and we are all to work together not pridefully, but with humility, with love. He says this in verses 6 and 7. He says, And these things, brethren, that I'm trying to teach you, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes. I've made this illustration between all these leaders for a reason, that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that none of you be puffed up for one against another. For who maketh thee to differ from one another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory? As if thou hadst not received it. He says, I'm teaching you this because it's very important for yourselves, but also for any other leaders that you might associate with, that you might think are great, that might even for a time lead you towards Christ, but at some point may just want you to conform to their style and follow their leadership. It's important that you learn right now not to think of men above that which is written. There is no leadership. There is no uniting force that is greater than the word of God. And the further we go away from the word of God, the more we will see disunity and sin in our lives. So with this illustration, Corinthians, realize that no matter who it is in your life that you are looking up to, a spiritual leader, a social media influencer, a politician, maybe someone at work that you want to be like in five to ten years, whoever it is, do not think of them above that which is written. And for yourselves as well, because it can be so easy and tempting. And Satan likes to play on years of experience to say, hey, after all this time, I think you finally got it. I think you're doing a great job. People are going to start looking up to you. He says, listen, Corinthians, don't be puffed up one against another. Don't lift yourself up and seek to be above other people. For who has made you to be different from another we believe that God has given us and blessed us with many gifts, so many gifts, and we are all unique in many ways. And God wants to use our uniqueness and our special gifts to reach other people, to further his kingdom, to glorify him. But the moment that we start thinking that we somehow 
had a hand in that. But somehow I am responsible for the gifts that I have. We've forgotten again the reality that we have not, we do not have anything that was not received. That God has given it to us. And if God has given it to us, then how can we boast in it? In the end, the only glory that we should find is in Christ. Not in ourselves, and not in any other leader or someone that we look up to. Our glory is not in them, it's not in man, it's not in ourselves. It is only in Christ. And if we remember that, if we remind ourselves to be humble, to remember that Christ is the one that we should be focused on, then pride will stay out of our life. And the moment that we feel it, if we turn back to Christ, we can find that unity that we've been looking for. We can find the satisfaction that we have been yearning for that's been driving us perhaps to whatever the sin is in your life. And we will find ourselves in a place of victory over sin. Not wallowing and controlled by these various issues. We'll find ourselves to be described as spiritual and not as carnal. The Corinthians struggled with a lot, but at the root of it was unity. At the root of that was ultimately pride in the hearts of men. So whatever it is that we struggle with, I encourage you to look into your own heart. Is there a a root of pride that's leading me to do the things, to make the decisions, to have the thoughts that I've been having lately? Is there anything in my life that is pulling me away from Christ that I'd encourage you, like Paul encouraged the Corinthians, to return to the word of God? Return to what is true. Keep your eyes fixed on Christ. And he will guide you where you should go. Let me pray for you all and we will be dismissed. Thank you for joining us today. Dear Lord, I pray that you would convict us, you would draw us closer to you, and that if there's any way in our hearts and our lives that we are dividing into these tiny little sects or factions, Lord, that you would remind us of your unending love for all of us. Lord, if there's any root of pride that is leading us down a dangerous, destructive road, would you reveal it to us? Would you give us the humility to admit that we have an issue and that it's not enough just to say, oh, I'll just act like everything's fine and it'll all work out. No, Lord, would you draw us to you, draw us to our knees, that we not just let these things happen and hope for the best, but actually follow your word to make decisions, to make a choice that we want to look at you, follow after you and not after our own glory, or the glory of others. Would you keep us safe as we go our separate ways today and draw us back together as this body of Christ? And Lord, would you foster these relationships and grow our family here as you see fit, all for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.